0: Chapter 18 of Zafloia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by DJ in Chatham, Ontario, Canada. Zafloia by Charlotte Dacre. Chapter 18. The more Zafloia was beloved by all save one in the Palazzo of Berenza. This single exception of the general sentiment was discernible in a man called Latoni, a domestic who had resided for some years in the service of the conte, envy and hatred filled his heart in contemplating the superior qualities of Zefloya, whose elegant person was his least recommendation. He could dance with inimitable grace, and his skill in music was such that, in excursions on the laguna, he frequently, at the request of his master, occupied one end of the gondola to charm the company with the exquisiteness of his harmony. These are distinctions, and the estimation in which the Moor was held by his superiors so preyed upon the mind of Latoni that he abhorred to look upon him, and sought every occasion to irritate him, that in some quarrel or fight he might do him a mortal injury. The Moor, however, disdaining Latoni treated him with sovereign contempt, and no bitterness of language could extort from him other reply than a smile of most expressive scorn. This behavior would enrage Latoni to a pitch of madness but not daring to wreak his vengeance upon so universal a favorite, he had no alternative but to rush from the spot and vent in curses the malignant fury of his breast. It happened that, some few days after the singular dreams of Victoria, while their impression and their tendency still occupied her mind, that the more Zafloia became suddenly missing, as he was so highly prized by Enrique and admired by all, This circumstance caused infinite consternation throughout the Palazzo, and none indeed did it affect more strongly, most inconceivably to herself, than Victoria. Every place that he had ever been in the habit of frequenting, where even there was the remotest probability of his having been, was scrupulously sought and referred to. People were sent different ways throughout Venice to gain, if possible, some intelligence respecting him, but all in vain several days elapsed and not the smallest tidings could be obtained conjecture at length became weary and hope began to fail all further attempts to learn the fate of Zefloya were considered to be vain and time alone was expected to develop the mysterious circumstances of his sudden disappearance in the midst of this the domestic latoni was seized with sickness and confined to his bed varenza who regarded him as an old and faithful servant used every endeavor to promote his recovery but his disorder rapidly gaining ground, the physicians confessed the inability of medicine to save him from approaching death. This final opinion being conveyed to Letoni, he was seized with the most terrible pangs, from which he only recovered to entreat the presence of a confessor, his master, and Signor Enrique, ere he resigned his breath. This request of a dying man, the benevolent Barenza rapidly complied with. Enrique likewise consented to accompany him, and Victoria, she knew not why begged permission to be present. Altogether, then, entering the chamber of the expiring Latoni, who, soon as he beheld them raising himself in his bed, spoke as follows. My lord Berenza, and you, Signor Enrique, execrate not a dying penitent, but listen with mercy and forgiveness to his confession. It is I, Latoni, who all concerning the disappearance of the Moors of Floya." I envied his beauty, his accomplishments, and hated him for the admiration which they obtained him. I sought many opportunities of provoking him to quarrel with me, but he treated me with contempt, and this increasing rage against him determined me to take his life. "'Wretch!' exclaimed Victoria. "'Señora, peace, I beseech you, for I must be brief, and the pangs I now endure—' may almost expiate my crime. One evening, the evening he was missing, I followed him from the palazzo. I watched his footsteps, but kept at a distance. I observed him on St. Mark's. My heart panted with uncontrollable fury and desire of vengeance for the bitter moments he had given me. I saw him raise his eyes to heaven and contemplate the spangled sky, He stood almost close to the brink over the canal, and I longed to push him in headlong, but the idea that this might not affect completely his destruction, and that he might save himself by expert swimming, stayed my eager hand, and I softly approached him from behind. He heard me not. I took, trembling with fear of failure, my dagger from my belt." and plunged it repeatedly into his back, ere he could even attempt to defend himself. I then, satisfied that he must perish, tumbled him into the water from which he never rose, and hastily fled the spot. The avenging conscience pursued me, however, and prevented me from enjoying the fruits of my crime. Death approaches, and torments of hell are open to my view. As Latoni concluded, strong convulsions seized him, and he fell back upon his pillow. His confession had eased his conscience, but could not prolong his life. He lingered a few hours, then praying for mercy, although most despairing to obtain it, he breathed his last. Great was the grief of Victoria on hearing, thus circumstantially detailed, the loss and destruction of one who had begun so deeply to interest her thoughts. She found it impossible to account for the degree of feeling which affected her, She had never been conscious of the slightest predilection in favor of the Moor until the circumstance of his impressing her mind from appearing in her dreams had never even cast a thought more than common upon him. From that period, indeed, she had been most inexplicably interested about him. Nor could she, for any length of time, banish his idea from her mind. It was vain, therefore, that she essayed to feel indifferent to the reflection of his unhappy fate. She found it impossible and experienced a weight at her heart as if under the impression of having sustained a heavy loss. Zafloya, though a Moor, and by a combination of events and the chance of war, in the victory of the Spaniards over the Moors of Granada, reduced to a menial situation, was yet of noble birth, of the race of the Abdul-Ramans. He had, after several vicissitudes, when still young, fallen into the hands of a Spanish nobleman, who, pitying his misfortunes, considered him rather as a friend than an inferior. And bestowed high polish upon the education he had received henrique having become acquainted with this nobleman during his travels to divert the sorrows of his love he formed with him a strict friendship founded in some degree upon similarity of situation as well as sentiment unfortunately however in the height of their friendship the spaniard became involved in a quarrel which terminated in bloodshed he received a wound which was pronounced to be mortal and Henrique had the melancholy office of attending a friend in his dying moments. At this awful period it was that he, among other changes, recommended to his future protection the more Zafloia. Henrique promised implicit observance to all his wishes, and Zafloia was in consequence taken immediately, after the death of his first master and protector, into the service and guardianship of Henrique. These peculiar circumstances, besides his excellent and ingenious nature, considerably endeared the more to him, and he loved him not only for the sake of his departed friend, but for his intrinsic worth as well. His loss, therefore, by Enrique, was most sensibly and deeply regretted, and the confirmation of his frightful death received with sentiments of acute grief. Nine days had now elapsed since the death of Latoni, nothing had as yet been heard to contradict his dying account of the end of Zafloia when, to the surprise of everyone, on the evening of the 10th, he entered the apartment where the family of Barenza were assembled. All started from their seats, and Victoria, overcome with mixed emotions, sunk into hers again. An explanation of his astonishing and unlooked-for return was hastily demanded by his master, when gracefully bowing, the Moor gave of himself the following account. Of the cause of Latoni's hatred towards me I am wholly unconscious. He frequently sought my life, and on the night that he followed me with murderous intent, and wounded me repeatedly with his stiletto, I discerned whose hands aimed the blows, but was not empowered to make effectual resistance, being, as it happened, wholly unarmed. I struggled with the base assassin, however, but not aware of his intentions, he pushed me, faint as I was with loss of blood, over the edge of the steps on which I was standing, when he first attacked me, into the canal below." Here undoubtedly I must have perished, but that an honest fisherman returning to Padua was the means of my preservation by extricating me from the water, assisted by the feeble struggles for life that I was yet enabled to make. Fortunately, none of my wounds proved to be serious, and being in possession of a secret transmitted to me by my ancestors for speedily healing even the most dangerous ones, I remained at the hut of the fisherman till I was perfectly recovered, and enabled once more to present myself before the honorable family to whom I owe my highest gratitude and respect. Here ended the narration of Zefloya, who, when he had received the congratulations of every one upon his miraculous escape from destruction, appeared to learn with evident surprise the death of Latoni. He demonstrated, however, visible joy at the intelligence, and returning thanks, submissively yet dignified, for the kindness manifested towards him, respectfully withdrew from the apartment, casting as he went a look of the most animated gratitude upon Victoria, as though his heart thanked her for the interest she had appeared to take in his story, beyond what his respect would permit him to express. As for Victoria, in proportion as she had been miserable at the disappearance of the Moor, in so much was she rejoiced to behold him again, her heart dilated with an unaccountable delight, with which the image of Henrique was deeply connected, for she thought of him with less of jealous agony and more of confidence and hope as though, strange as it appeared, the mere presence of Zefloya possessed a secret charm to facilitate her wishes. This idea gave an animation to her countenance, and a flow to her spirits, that for some time had not been perceptible in her. The change delighted the unsuspicious Berenza, who flattered himself that it was the dawning triumph of vigorous reason over the morbid refinements of a sickly fancy. The innocent Lila, too, caressed her with heartfelt pleasure. And Victoria, returning her caresses with a gloomy eagerness, as the murderer might be tempted to fondle the beauty of the babe whose life he intended to take, Henrique always participating in the pleasures and sorrows of his mistress, paid too a more than usual attention to Victoria, but it was an attention and compliment to Lila to a brother whom he loved, and not the spontaneous effusions of his heart to her on this night. Victoria retired to bed with feelings of delight that teemed with woe to others. Hers was not that innocent vivacity which springs at once from the purity and sanity of the heart. It was the wild and frightful mirth of a tyrant, who condemns his subjects to the torture that he may laugh at their agonies. It was the brilliant glare of the terrible volcano, pregnant even in its beauty with destruction. Scarcely had her head reclined upon her pillow ere the image of Zafloya swam in her sight. She slumbered, and he haunted her dreams. Sometimes she wandered with him over beds of flowers. Sometimes over craggy rocks, sometimes in fields of the brightest verdure, sometimes over burning sands, tottering on the ridge of some huge precipice, while the angry waters waved in the abyss below, often the circumstances were so strong that the bounds of fancy contained them no longer, and hastily awaking, scarcely could she assure herself that Zefloya stood not at the side of her bed. At one time, the delusion was so strong that she even fancied, after gazing for a minute at least, that he was a few paces from her bed and that she saw him turn and walk slowly and majestically towards the door. At this, being no longer able to resist, she started up and called him by his name. But as she did so, he seemed to vanish through the door, which still remained shut. Surprised, she passed her hand over her eyes and looked round the chamber. All was lonely, she beheld no further traces of his figure, and, difficult as was the persuasion, she endeavored to believe the whole a delusive dream. At length she laid down and closed her eyes again. The weariness of sleep oppressed her to such a degree as to deprive her wholly of motion, but, notwithstanding this, her eyes half-opened involuntarily. A grey silvery mist filled the chamber, shedding a sort of twilight. The curtains at the foot of her bed opened wide, and in the same spot again stood the figure of Zafloia. With one hand he seemed to hold Berenza, whose countenance, of pallid hue seemed convulsed in the agonies of death. On his bare bosom appeared large marks of livid blue, and his eyes stretched wide, gazed mournfully upon the oppressed Victoria. In his other hand, the more held, by her beautiful and flaxen tresses, the orphan Leela, her thin and spectral form seemed arrayed in transparent shade, her lovely head drooped, and on one side of it was a deep wound from which the blood had streamed down her aerial robes. While still incapable of volition, Victoria gazed. Berenza and Lila vanished, and she beheld instead her own likeness and that of Henrique, standing on either side of the moor. She seemed to stretch forth her arms, into which Henrique appeared impelled, but hastily retreating, she saw that his bosom was disfigured by a dreadful wound. Suddenly, Berenza and Lila again drew nigh. Resplendent wings, which dazzled her eyes, came from the shoulders of Lila, With a seraphic smile she extended her hands to Berenza and Enrique, and rising with them from the ground, Victoria beheld them no longer. Her heart beat violently, her brain throbbed, and essaying to rise, she found herself no longer incapable of motion. End of chapter 18. Recording by DJ in Chatham, Ontario, Canada.